0: I'm Duncan, by the way, I'm one of the elders here, Um, and what we mean by our One Peter series is One Peter is a letter um, that we find in the Bible um, written by a guy called Peter, Um, go figure. Um, I guess the Bible doesn't always have to be complicated, eh? And this letter was written um, after Jesus was on earth, Um, and so it's after Jesus' death and resurrection that we've been singing about already today. And the series that we are going through is just us going through the whole book, line by line or passage by passage, and taking, uh, looking at what the Bible says and then seeing how we can, what that tells us about God and how we can apply the things that we learn to our lives. And so we're not coming to this with any particular agenda or things that we want to teach from it. We think God's spoken and said, Do a teaching series on this book, and so we're saying, great, we will. I wonder what you've got to say to us through it, Lord. So um, we're kind of at the beginning, I think, three or four messages in, um, and so we're in chapter 1 and verse 13, and I'm going to read through to verse 21. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Now I just want to give you a heads up, a sort of, the flow of this message, because I'm going to spend about 20, 15, 15, 20 minutes or so in verse uh, 13 alone. So the very first verse that we're in. And I don't want you all to freak out and just think this guy's never going to let us go because he's working through each verse at 20 minutes at a time. Um, so we're going through, uh, I'll focus mainly on verse 13 and then we'll look at verses 14, 15, and 16 and see um, what we can learn from them as a result of what we see in 13. So I won't be touching tons on, um, on 17 um, through to 21. A lot of that I think is some of the stuff that was covered particularly in verse 2. So um, you can kind of find find that on our website if you want to listen to some of that. So verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I know you all have paid attention in English class. And we have just started on the word, therefore. And so when you come across the word, therefore, the question you have to ask is, what is it? Man, that did bomb. (laughs) I thought we might get a bit more participation than that. Clearly, preachers you can join in is not the future. So you have to ask, why is this word, therefore? It's part of what I was saying before. When we're working through things passage by passage, you sometimes start kind of mid-flow. And that's where Peter is now. And so just to zoom out, bring a bit of context, he spent the last nine verses or so talking about how the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything, how God has worked majestically through Jesus to completely transform and change our circumstances. And particularly, he talks about something called a living hope that we now have because of the victory of Jesus as he burst out of the grave and was risen again. And because he now lasts forever, we can trust in him forever, and we know that he will be delivering to us what it says is an inheritance that will never fade and never perish. And this is a free gift that he's given us that we cannot lose because it's something that he's decided to give give to us, not because of how good we are, but because of how loving he is. And because he's given it to us, For those reasons, not because of anything that recommends us, we can't mess it up. We can't lose this. This is ours forever. It is a, the whole of those nine verses is just one single sentence. Peter just went for it. He didn't stop. And he ends it in verse 12 by saying, these things are so wonderful that even the angels long to look into these things. Which... uh, different translation in the original Greek would be, these things should blow your mind. That's what Peter's saying. These are just wonderful truths. And then we move on to our therefore. And at this stage, we might be thinking, what you have said so far, Peter, is wonderful, it's encouraging, it's inspirational, kind of bringing depth and detail to this living hope that we now have because of Jesus. And we might also think, You know what, Peter, kind of ready to move on from this whole hope thing. But verse 13, Peter springs on us, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. He returns once again to this theme of hope. And he says something interesting because in verse 3 he says, this hope that that Jesus has given you is now yours. You are born into hope this hope is yours. And now he's saying, set your hope. Which doesn't seem to add up. It's a slightly strange circumstance, perhaps, on first reading. We have this hope in Jesus Christ, and we are to set our hope in Jesus Christ. And what this simply is saying is that it is possible for us to treasure God and to love him and to our hearts to sing to him and to know that we are saved by him and to enjoy everything that he has given us and to have moments where, just as in our worship we are talking about, and just come alive and realize we are new creations. We, are, we have so much to thank him for and to be people who are growing in our walk with him and to, 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 to adore him and yet still not fully put our hope and our trust in him. It says in verse 8 that we we love him even though we do not see him, and we have joy inexpressible in him. We know the richness and the the life-giving power of God in our lives, And yet, we still don't always put our hope fully in him, despite some of these wonders that we have experienced of him. Because Peter's a realist. Peter knows people, he gets people, he's a man of the people, he knows us, he knows our circumstances, he knows how we go through life, and he knows the sort of things that we face. He knows that we might have read these truths, and read some of the things that he says, and we might have even heard preachers on this living hope that we have. And we might have heard dozens of preachers where the preacher was really going for it, and we might have been there nodding along and thinking, this living hope sounds great, and these things that God is saying about me that are true sound wonderful. And we might have been nodding along, and if you're not British, saying amen as the preacher's going for it. And love the idea of it and think, this is such a great truth. And you might even then, next time you're in a worship time, pray it out. And yet, at the same time, all of us still find it much easier to hope in the things that are right in front of us. And to hope in the things that we can see, rather than hope in the things of God. The things that we hope in are... When we go to our bank account and check our balance, we really, really hope that our overdraft might have come in because things are starting to get a little bit dicey. Or we hope in that job opportunity, that promotion opportunity that's come up at work, and we have been putting the hours in, and we've been going for it because we know that this is the next step up for us, and we really hope that we get this job. And we know it's between us and Andy over in marketing, and we really hope that we get it, and we also really hope that Andy over in marketing doesn't get it. Or there's that guy in the CU who you kind of, he's caught your attention a few times, and you've always kind of hoped maybe he might see me too. But these, like these, Just being real, these are the kind of things that we hope in, that we find it easiest to hope in. And we have difficulty transferring our hope over from these things that we see into this new living hope that Peter has said that we now have, into this hope in Christ that we have been born into. Because this stuff over here, the stuff that Peter says, as amazing as it sounds, and however much it might capture our hearts, is unseen stuff which means that we have to exercise faith in order to put our hope in these things. But what Peter is saying here is that an absolute essential for the Christian life and certainly to then move into and understand everything else that he's got to say in this letter, but just to, to really grow and to make the most of our lives in Christ, this is something that we need to get a hold of if we can. To get hold of this living hope that Peter has been talking about, to not move on and not just dismiss verse 13 as, oh, Peter's talking about this hope again, and to say, no, we want to get hold of this and make it true in our own lives and learn how to set our hope fully on Christ. What does it mean to set our hope on Christ? Well, it means that we recognise that every single longing of our heart, every single thing that we desire, every satisfa- everything that we point our lives towards, every dream that we have, every goal that we have, everything that we want, finds its full satisfaction in Christ. Everything that we yearn after, we find the fullness of its satisfaction in Christ. Every gap in our lives, every void, every hole, everything that we want filling, we will find not from something in this age, but in Christ and Christ alone. He is the only one that can fully satisfy. And we will not know the fullness of the satisfaction in this age, but we know that we will be fully satisfied in Christ when he comes and for eternity And so our hope is not for this age, but our hope is really in the age to come, because that is when Jesus will come and make our hearts full and satisfied entirely in him. That's what it's talking about in verse 13, when we are hoping fully on the grace that will be brought to us in the revelation of Jesus Christ saying he is the only one that can not only fill our hearts, but the one that will break the power of pain and sadness and sickness and death and decay in this world and finally give us something that will never hurt us again, never let us down again. And to hope fully in Christ also means that we recognize that nothing else aside from Christ will satisfy And so we can't look to things of this age, we can't look to the things of this world to find the, to meet the deepest longings of our hearts, that any relationship will never quite fill that need for us to be loved. Any amount of company, any person in this age will never meet our desire to not be lonely. No amount of money will ever satisfy our longing to feel secure, that these needs can only be met In Christ, this is what a hope that is fully in Christ looks like. And it means that we cannot be then, when we hope fully in him, we can't be knocked when the things in this age ultimately disappoint us. So when the guy in marketing does get the job, or that guy in the CU doesn't show any interest in you, or your your, your student loan money hasn't come in, Although they might be disappointing for a moment, you're not knocked and you're not broken because your hope rests in him. And verse 13 is written by Peter to give us a framework of how we can, as believers and people that already know him, that know that we have this living hope, but struggle to access it and struggle to know how can we fully put our hope in Christ, he gives us some stages to go through to put our hope in him. But very briefly, just before I talk through those stages, just a couple of comments on the phrase, set your hope. I guess I kind of already said this already, but setting your hope in Christ is not an automatic thing. The moment we choose to believe in him, the moment we follow him, our hope isn't automatically transferred from all of the things of this age and we suddenly find, oh, I'm completely free from these. It doesn't bother me when that relationship caves in because now I have Christ. It's not an automatic process that our heart goes that way. But the other thing that the phrase set your hope tells us is that we have control over where our hope is pointed and directed. You wouldn't write set your hope if it wasn't a choice that we could make. If it wasn't a choice that we could say, I am going to choose where I am going to, not just partially, but as it says in verse 13, where I am going to fully direct my hope. And so Peter gives us these what I, th- what I see is three stages in verse 13 for setting our hope. Firstly, he says, be sober minded. And what this means is that we take a clear minded assessment of our life and where our hopes are currently pointed. And we're honest with ourselves and we say, Am I truly hoping in the things of God? Or am I making myself vulnerable by hoping in things that could ultimately let me down and leave me broken? And so we have to ask ourselves honestly, then, the question, where is my hope? So what are some tips for perhaps finding out where our hope might be pointed? Well, I run this kind of, I don't know, it's slightly weird diagnostic thing. I ask myself like a bit of a question. Um, And I ask myself, if I didn't have dot, dot, dot in my life, would I still be able to find joy in Jesus? And I just sometimes find myself asking this question. If I wonder if my heart's affection for this thing in my life is too big, I'll think, if this thing didn't exist anymore, would I still be able to find my joy in Jesus? And so I'll perhaps ask if I didn't have my marriage, or if I didn't have my job, or if I didn't have some other big thing that's in my life, would I still be satisfied in Jesus? Maybe just a helpful question to ask yourself. It can help you find out, is this thing too big in my life? Am I relying on that too much for happiness or security? Am I hoping in that thing too much? Another question is, what are the sort of things that you worry about? So sometimes when I wake up, I wake up, and I am just incredibly anxious, just like from the moment I'm up. I'm filled with anxiety. And that anxiety, for me at least, is always linked to an event that is coming up. There is something that I am worried about. It's not just like a general anxiety. There is a thing that I'm worried about. And I figured that my anxiety is simply, it's all to do with hope. And I think this could be true of all worry, If we're worrying about something, it's hope mixed with fear. So I hope that this thing will happen, but I am also fearful that it won't. And if I'm anxious about it, that means that I am hoping too much that it will happen, and I'm overly worried that it might not. And so that, for me, is a sign. I think I might be hoping in this thing too much. Just a, a, another comment on the sort of working out where our hope is. We can give ourselves a little bit of a get-out-of-jail-free card by thinking, oh, this exam, I'm not overly worried about that, or this doesn't seem like if I didn't do well in this particular exam, I wouldn't be devastated. And so clearly, I am not. that, that is not where my hope is. But try and then expand and extrapolate along from that. What if your whole degree caved in? Or what if you had no education and no qualifications? Would you then still feel secure? Would it feel like a big part of you had gone? Those are the kind of questions. So try not to give yourself too much of a pass. So that's the first. That's good advice all the time. So first stage, be sober-minded. Second stage, prepare your mind for action. This is essentially resolve to do something about it. So we are. We take a sober-minded assessment of where we're at. Am I? Where is my hope? Is it in this thing when it could be in Christ? Is there a disconnect between where my hope is and where it should be? And then if we notice, yes, it is, and that's where I get to when I feel like, oh, I'm anxious. Oh, I know that there's something wrong here. There's something awry. Then we say, right, I'm actually going to do something about it. I, think, I don't know about you, but essentially, I spend a lot of my time just waiting around for someone else to fix me. I just think someone else is going to come along and solve this problem for me, or there'll be a great preach, or there'll be a great worship time, or a great ministry time, and that will just totally solve all of my problems. What Peter's saying here, prepare your mind for action. Like he is not shying away. He's saying that we've got to get ready to do something. We've got to take responsibility for ourselves. We've got to take control of this situation and say, no, I'm not satisfied having my hope going towards something else. This is not what Jesus wants for me. I know that, and so I'm going to do something about this and sort it out. And so then the final step on setting our hope is to set my hope. I then actually do something active to change the direction of my hope, to transfer it out of the scene realm, the things that are in front of me and into the only one who will never let me down, Christ, the one who is able to hold all of my hopes. There's nothing else that can hold my hope, but Christ can hold it because he is the only one who I never have to fear he's going to let me down, that there is no anxiety in Christ because if it's fear, hope mixed with fear that this thing will not come through, well, Jesus will always come through for you. So there can only be hope in Christ. And so what I do to set my hope is I get before God and I essentially just preach to myself. And I think this is good advice for all of us. I think all of us are called to be preachers. Your congregation size might be slightly different to this. It might just be yourself in your bedroom, but you can preach to yourself. Because did you know there is a voice in heaven that is proclaiming all of these things here, all of everything contained in verses 3 to 12. There is a voice in heaven proclaiming these to be true over you. And I don't know about you, but I have found that I am a world expert in just cutting that voice out. I have just not hearing what God says over me. But if I get into my bedroom and I just start preaching what I find about my living hope in the Bible over myself. And I say, I know that I am bought by the blood of Jesus. I know that his resurrection means that not only will he live forever, but because I'm joined with him, I will live forever. I know that my inheritance in heaven is secure and that one day he's coming and he's gonna deliver it to me and then everything will be okay. And not just okay, but it will be wonderful because Christ has made it for me. I will get to share in his glory. I will get to share in his honor. I will get to share in his praise. He is coming so that I can have all of that. As I preach that to myself, what I am saying and what I am hearing from my own voice resonates and is in tune with what is coming down from heaven through the power of the Holy Spirit. It goes into my bones and it changes me. It makes me actually believe it because it's not just Duncan speaking it over himself. It is Duncan affirming what the voice of the Holy Spirit is saying is true about me. And that's when it starts to get into me. And that is when my hope starts to get fully set in the things of Christ. And I turn away from the things of this age and I look to him. And I know that I will not be forsaken by him. I know that I will not be let down. And I've just realized I've got to do it. And I can't just do it once. It's not just a one shot, I'm going to preach over myself, get this hope thing ticked off, see what the letter of 2 Peter has to say and just tick that off, make my way through the Bible. This is something that I have to do on a continual basis, preach these truths over myself, continually set my hope in Christ. I have found that if I don't do it, I don't really believe these things. If I roll out of bed and just check the Champions League highlights from the night before and hit up Instagram, guess what doesn't work? Go figure, right? But if I don't try and dull my anxiety or dull what I'm going through by distraction and take it to God and speak this truth over me, that's when I start to believe. So why is this all important? How does this actually change how we live? Well, verses 14 and 18, um, verse 14 firstly says, Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And then 18 says something quite similar. Knowing you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. And what this is saying is, this is kind of the, what does it look like if we don't really get hold of these things? If we don't set our hope fully in Christ? What it looks like is, this, it looks like ignorance and it looks like futility. I have this really, one really annoying habit that sometimes Hannah and I will say, or Hannah will say to me, Look, we need to go to such and such place. And so we will get in the car and I will be in the driver's seat, and Hannah will look to me and say, Do you know where you're going? And I will look to Hannah and I'll say, Yes, Hannah, I know where I'm going. And then I'll start driving. And I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> And I haven't even thought about where I'm going. And I just, like 10, 15, 45 minutes later, I realized I've just been on total autopilot, just driving. And Hannah will look at me and she'll say, You don't know where you're going, do you? And I'll say, Hannah, I don't know where I'm going. And I think it makes someone file for divorce every time it happens. It drives a loopy. Not really. I'm going to be a joke. Sounded funny in my head. <laughs> the imagery that Peter's pulling on here, when he says, "Let's get back to the Bible, safer ground," when Peter says, "You have been ransomed from the futility of your forefathers," what he's, he's pulling on is the imagery of when God's people were once trapped in slavery in Egypt, and their lives were futile. Another translation of the Bible uses the word empty. They were doing nothing of value. But then God ransomed them. He delivered them out of that situation, and he set them. He didn't just take them out of an empty and futile situation, but he put them on a course towards the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And he gave their lives purpose and direction. And that's why I told the story about the driving thing. That's it. It's a hilarious anecdote. Because it's easy for us to live the lives of no direction and to to live in futile ways. We allow our minds to drift and we can be living empty lives if we don't get hold of, I'm going to put my hope fully in Christ. I'm going to live fully for him. But when we do... And we choose to live for him, and in choosing to live for him, to live for eternity, our lives are set on a new direction. They're given purpose, just as the people of God were when they were pulled out of slavery and pointed towards the promised land. And what does this life of direction look like? 15 and 16. But he who called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Why is holiness related to moving the position of our hope? Why is setting our hope on Christ alone why is that? Why why does holiness follow on from that? Well actually the, the very act of setting our hope in Christ and choosing Him to be the place that we put our hope is is an act of holiness in and of itself. Because the word holy when talking about God is us setting ourselves apart for God. It means that we are setting ourselves aside for his purposes and his use. That's what holy means. And in setting ourselves aside for him, we are saying no, and we are saying we are not living for the things of the world. We will live for the things of God. We will not live for the things of anything else. And that's exactly what we have been talking about with our hope. We say we're not going to direct our hope in the things that are not of God. Instead, we are going to set our hope on the things of God. And so the very act of choosing God and choosing, I'm going to put my hope in you, that is, in and of itself, holiness. It is a decision that we make, a life decision that we make, to honor and worship and obey God, setting ourselves aside for God. It's saying, I'm willing to look different. I'm willing to be different. I'm willing to choose his way, whatever that looks like. But it also encourages us and moves us towards holiness when we set our hope. Because when we set our hope in Christ, we are casting ourselves into Eternity with him. And so when it says be holy, what it's also saying is it says you shall be holy for I am holy. Now just take a moment. This is what God is saying here is come and share in my ways. What God is saying here is come and be more like me you and me, we can be like God. And it's just an outrageous invitation from God that we might be able to look more like him. I think of all of the reasons, even today, that you wouldn't want to share with the person sat next to you of why you should not be allowed to be holy. And yet here is God saying, no, you come and share in Who I am. You come and take on some of my character. You come and take on some of the facets of my being. You come and look more like God. You as a man, as a woman walking on earth, look like God. Take on holiness. Come and share in the ways of God. For us to be people... walking around earth that look like God and are like God is for us to look like Jesus Christ himself. And so the invitation here is for us to look like Christ. How is this related to setting our hope into eternity? Well, because Christ himself, the invitation to be holy, the invitation to look like Christ, is the invitation to look like the everlasting man is the invitation to look like the one who will never fade, who will never perish, the one who will last into eternity. And there is much more I could say on what this command to be holy says, but you'll notice that Peter doesn't really dwell on it himself. He just sort of chucks it in there. It just sort of lands And you think, oh, well, surely now he's going to go on to explain what that looks like. But he just can't help himself. For the rest of 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, he just gets caught up again in the wonders of who Christ is and what God the Father has done in sending his son so that we might enjoy all of the privileges of being called sons of God and have access to even the opportunity to be holy. And it's actually in the rest of the letter that Peter starts to get into the detail of what does it actually look like to live a holy life. And so I'm not going to go into that. I'll leave that for speakers in the following weeks. Chris. And so while Peter doesn't dwell on what it is to be holy, but simply says that it's something that as we set our hope in him, we become more like and are encouraged and moved towards. Peter's desire and God's desire is that we do not rush on from all that is contained in verse 13. That we would be a people that trust him in all things, that are setting our hope in him, that we don't look to the things of this world to satisfy us and to meet our needs, but we cast our hope into him. And are forever with him. Because he is the one that will always deliver, he'll always satisfy, and will never forsake us. Let's sing.